0: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. If this is your first time here, or if they're first time listening online, hello, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and this is Gospel Saving Church. We come to you from McKinney, Texas. This is one of God's true churches of these last days. We preach the truth right from the Bible, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. I hope you didn't come here to be entertained, because I'm not an entertainer. I'm a teacher of the Word of the Lord. There's too many entertainers and not enough teachers of the Word of God for... The Word of God, you don't don't have to entertain it. It's good the way it is. I don't have to make it any better or do anything special. The Word of God is already special. Let's enjoy it for what it is. So we always start with a word of prayer. Ask God to help us understand His Word, because we know that the Bible says we cannot understand the Word of God, the words of God, or the things of God, in our own human understanding. We can only understand them by the Spirit of God. So if you guys would join me in a word of prayer, please. Let's ask the Lord to bless our minds and our spiritual hearts so we can understand God's Word, and not only understand His words, but then do and obey His words. For it's not enough to understand things, it's, 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 it's what God wants is that for us to understand and then do. So, Lord, we come before you, Lord, and we come before you, Lord, and we know, Lord God, that we are hopeless and helpless, God, on ourselves, Lord. We can't do anything, Lord, really, uh, spiritual or for you, Lord, in and of ourselves, Lord. We are physical creatures, Lord, on the outside. Our physical men and women, Lord, they want to rule. But, Lord, we we pray, Lord God, that as those of us that are your children, Lord God, that are listening today, we pray that you would help us and our spirit men and our spirit Spirit women and our spirit children that are inside of us, Lord God, we pray that you help us to understand your word and, and help us be doers of your word. God, we, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our soul and spirits, Lord, that we would not only understand, but then do the things that you ask us to do, Lord God. For we can't do anything apart from Christ, really, Lord God, but we can do all things in Christ through, who strengthens us. So, Lord, we pray, Lord God, help us. Please, God, help us, Lord. We, we, are, we are totally helpless without you. Lord, we uh, do pray, Lord, that uh, those that are not yours, Lord, that they would maybe hear you speak today and, Lord, maybe make a decision for you or maybe, Lord, think about you or meditate on the things of you, Lord, and and count the cost in in coming to you. We pray that this message would change hearts and minds, Lord, for your kingdom, for the betterment for you and and add people to your kingdom and strengthen people in your kingdom too. We we love you and praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. So we're going to be today in Acts chapter 15. Now, a little bit different today than normal. Acts chapter 15, we're going to be in verses 1 through 35. Yes, that's right. 1 through 35. And because we are, you can get there in your Bibles. Acts chapter 15, 1 through 35. I'm not going to read the scripture before we study. I'm going to just go through it while we go for time purpose, because so I already have a time hard time getting through a four to five verses in an hour, let alone thirty-five verses an hour. So it's going to be a miracle if God will get me through this within the hour. But I think I think we'll be okay. So let's, uh, if we're all there, let's let's begin. The title of our sermon today is "It Is Finished," famous words of Jesus Christ. It is finished. So instead, again. Fifteen one. if you guys want to follow along with me and I'll comment and pre- preach and teach as I go. Acts fifteen one. Luke writes this. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom, or you could say law, of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, now I taught this idea, the idea that you may not know it's there, but I'm going to show you it's there. I have taught this idea over and over and over again all throughout scripture uh and we continue to see it so i'm going to continue to teach it. well what is the idea quickly on this section of scripture whenever the lord is moving strong and he's saving souls and the work of the lord is being done and and god's moving in a mighty way and his kingdom is growing we always see the devil come and attack god and try to slow the momentum try to stop god's kingdom from growing try to Try to put a, a, a roadblock in what God's doing. And that's exactly what we see happen here. For you see, right before this very verse here, the Lord had been moving in Paul and Barnabas' lives and in the ministry to really open up hearts, to really bring people to Christ. And so here we see the devil comes in and he can't stand it. So he brings a counterattack against God's children and against the kingdom of God by trying to supplant it by a, by a false and wicked doctrine. Yes, I'm saying that these people that came to this church in Antioch were from the devil. How and why can I say these people that came to the church were uh, the messengers of the devil and not from God Almighty? Well, these so-called brethren of Jesus Christ, these, these so-called Jewish converts to Jesus Christ brethren, came from Judea. And and they taught the Christian converts there in Antioch that unless they were had the, unless they did some good work of the law, uh, the work of circumcision, that they could not be saved. Why does this make them from the devil? Well, they were trying to bring the people that had become liberated in Christ by His blood to the law of Moses. And so, basically, what this amounts to is is this: they were trying to bring them to a works doctrine. For their salvation, their teaching again in a nutshell: If you are not circumcised, there's the work you have to do. This work, this this circumcision of the the you know of, of the man's body, you cannot be saved. So that's your salvation, eternal life, based upon the work of the keeping of the law of Moses. And this teaching is absolutely from the devil and not from God Almighty or Jesus Christ because the Bible, especially the New Testament, all the way from Matthew to Revelation teaches us that salvation does not come by works. It comes by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ and what? Nothing else. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone and his blood for our sacrifice. That's it. For he did all the work necessary to make the new covenant between us and God Almighty by his death on the cross for our sins, his blood shed on that cross, and his resurrection from the dead to defeat death. And again, this concept is taught by Christ himself, by all of his apostles, and of course, by the apostle Paul most of all. Where Paul, first one, just the only one for right now, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God. Not of works. Did you hear that? Not of works, least any man should boast. Yet these people, these devils, had come to the church in Antioch and they taught, unless you do a work, you cannot be saved. So that completely contradicts the message of the New Testament through Christ's blood. And again, uh John nineteen thirty, Jesus Christ said on the cross, our title, right as he was about to die of the work of salvation that he did for mankind to be saved, he said this, it is finished. And that's what he meant. He said, I'm saving you. My death and my sacrifice, my blood is where your salvation will be. Not any other way. It's finished. And if he said it's finished, then what? Well, it's finished. There's no ifs, ands, buts, or coconuts about it. If he said it's finished, then it's finished. Look at the problem that the great apostle Paul has with this concept that these devils are trying to bring in. He has a problem with it? We all, if you're a real Christian, you should have a problem with having a works doctrine for your salvation too. Look at verse 2. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, what did that mean? That means that they went to them, they heard that, and they were like, No, that is not what Christ taught when he was alive. They were battling. They were, they were arguing with them. No, that is not right. And this isn't something that they just talked about for a minute. This, this works doctrine from the law of Moses for the Jews was a real stronghold in the hearts of the Jews. It, it really was. So what what happens? Well, they have this dispute with them, they're arguing back and forth, so they, keep going to verse two, they, this would be the church or council there that was over the church, determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem, to the apostles and elders about this question. Now, some say here that Paul wasn't a real apostle of Christ because he couldn't make the decision to boot these guys out on his ear. But, But that's not what we see because if you go back to that verse, it says that they determined to send Paul and Barnabas. Well, Paul and Barnabas wouldn't be putting themselves in another Person like that, the scripture would have read: Paul and Barnabas decided to go up and talk to the apostles in Jerusalem. It says they. It was the church or council that this church had over it that Paul had instituted. Paul did not want to have sole basic, you know, him being the only man. He wanted to have accountability, so he set up a board or he set up a a council or a group of elders and leaders in this church, as we read that he just did in those last three churches that they went through, that they could have lost their lives, like we talked about last week. And anyway, they, this board, decided to send Paul and Barnabas there. We, We see... That, that, that Paul does a real good thing here, for we know there's a dangerous thing. We know if you go into a church and there's one person making all the calls and he has no counselors and he has nobody, no board or nobody to, to, to you know, support or, or not support his decisions, we know that's dangerous. So Paul set up a board so that you know, they could make sure everybody would keep each other in check. Um, and, and here, Paul, if it would have been up to him if he wouldn't have had this accountability, these guys would have been out on their ear, flat on their ears out the door, and completely uncredited as being not from Jesus Christ and teachers of blasphemy against Christ and God Almighty. Jesus Christ said of what their doctrine that they were going to bring in here in Luke 22:20, 20, as part of the Last Supper, Passover meal, he said this of the new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you, what what does it mean when you hear this is the new covenant? Well, it means that there was an other one. Like if you say, well, I have a new car. Well, you ha- I have a new car. Well, that you had to have a car to replace that car. You got a new car, right? I got a new house. Well, I was living somewhere. Now I got a new house. Well, this is a new covenant. Christ brought another, a new. The old one is gone. That's what the Bible says that the new one has come and Christ speaks that in Luke 22:20. 20. But Paul didn't need the Paul didn't need the apostles to tell him what to do, but it shows that he was accountable and praise God that Paul was accountable to others. So Paul and Barnabas were, were totally down on, on these false devil's doctrine that these blasphemers were teaching to, this new, to their new Christian church plant. Remember, Paul and Barnabas were the ones that planted this church to begin with. Uh, but being accountable with those in the church, they, verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they pass through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they cause great joy to all the brethren. They leave and go through some other cities. And we see there just how important the church was to Paul, for as he and Barnabas were traveling through the cities, making their way to Jerusalem, they stopped and talked to those in the churches that were along the way there in the cities to spread the result of the good news of the preaching of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. The good news, what? That the multitudes of the Gentiles were getting saved. Praise God. The popular consensus of the Jewish Christian brethren that they met were they were excited. And praise God. Because remember, back uh, some time ago, there was a big dispute about whether Gentiles could even get saved or not. And so here, they really, the ones that they were telling could have really responded negatively toward their news. But they didn't. They were excited about getting the, the, the Gentiles getting saved. And so we're excited, too, because we know that we're most of us that are probably listening to this message are Gentiles. So praise God that God opened that up for us. How did it go for the two apostles once they get to Jerusalem? Look at verse 4. And When they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. So they were received great by the church and by the original apostles of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, even when they had reported the things that had happened with God doing among them, and the, the you know the, the Gentiles getting saved, and meaning that it would be all their miracles, and the Gentiles getting saved, and all the things that were going on, all their travels. But unfortunately, their warm welcome became worn out when others that were there that had also believed more of the More of the religious Jew kind of that were there, the Pharisees. Look at verse 5. Some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, so they were saved, rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So these religious leaders, whom had believed in Jesus Christ and in his ministry and his coming, were also there. And they hear what's happened and not even hearing really yet of the problem with the devils that had come with the false doctrine that they were spreading. They had not hear about that yet. They just heard about the good news. And they didn't like the fact at all that the, there were people getting saved by God through Jesus Christ, through the blood of his new covenant, w- without them keeping the law of Moses. They were very upset with that. And, well, they stand right up, and they give their input, basically in a nutshell, although these Gentiles that Paul was talking about had had the same spiritual birth experience they were born again that the original apostles had had, coming to be new creatures in Christ Jesus. Uh, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. They still needed the law of Moses. Uh, mind you guys, that's the devil's doctrine. I'll talk about that later too. The devil says, Christ's not enough. God said, it is finished. Christ said, it is finished. God said, it's enough. This is my holy servant and whom people shall be saved. devil says, no, Christ isn't enough. So keep that in mind, even in our own lives. Christ should be enough. For Christ is enough. He really is. Now, not so sure yet whether I'd call these Pharisees that were in Jerusalem church devils like those in Antioch just yet. Maybe they're just saying these things because they're Confused. Remember, these guys don't have the full canonization or gathering together of the biblical text like we do today. And the church, it was kind of still a newer entity, and they didn't have all their doctrines of Christ and salvation fully established just yet. So let's give them the benefit of the doubt for now. Also, we can't righteously judge them just yet. Why? Well, because you see, here, they haven't really heard the the counter-argument to Christ only, and it is finished, they had only heard the one side, and they had only been speaking themselves. They really didn't have the, the disputes and the arguments yet. They still have their choice or their chance to really say, well, you know what, I'm going to listen to you, or no, no, this is the way. See, the, the reason I called the, those people that came, the, the, the false prophets, the, the devils that came to Antioch, devils the way I did, is because they spread their doctrine. Paul and Barnabas came back, and they said, no, that's not right. It is finished, Christ alone, by his blood alone, through faith alone. And yet they upheld their wicked doctrine and continued to preach the false doctrines that they had. So we got to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. Let's move forward, verses 6 through 9. Let's see how they respond to some heat when it comes their way, some, some uh, counter-arguments, we'll call them. Verse 6, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, <laughs> so you see, they were disputing amongst one another. And, and it says here, and the apostles and elders came together. And this would be the apostles, the elders, the Pharisees, all of those that were together. And what was going on is there was dispute, which shows, goes to show me that even all the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ weren't really fully sure about this matter. They were still kind of confused about whether or not a person, any person, non-Jew or Jew, could be saved eternally by grace through faith truly in Christ and Him in and in His sacrifice alone by His death on the cross for us. It's crazy to think that the apostles of the lamb didn't have all the details down themselves. It's crazy for me to think that. But but then as I right as I was thinking that for this sermon and I wrote that down, God reminded me. This is a big reminder from God to me. I don't know if God's ever shown you this, but we have to remember that there's this there's this stigma that well when when we look at biblical people, man, they had it all. They, they had the full knowledge of God. They were, you know, they had every detail. They had every this. But, but you know, that's a false idea. Because guess what? They were human beings just like we're human beings. And although they walk with Christ, there were many times when Christ said things after he had already taught them that they're like, but Lord, no, I don't know, that's not right. And Jesus is like, I just taught you that. Come on. They were human like we were human. They didn't have all the details. They're learning just like we're learning. So praise God, we've got to have grace for them. It's like God has grace for us. Now, thankfully, we see that in the midst of their uh, discussion, God helps one of them remember a certain detail from his past and a mission that God had sent him on. Look at verse 7. Peter rose up and said to them, it's almost like he was like, they were all talking to Peter, it's like, I'm done with this. He stands up and he says, men and brethren, You know that a good while ago God chose us that by our mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And if we remember that would be Acts 10, that would be Cornelius and all his household that he brought together and God brought salvation to them. He goes on to give them a synopsis of what happened in his encounter, verses 8 and 9. So God, who knows the heart, and, and this is the deal. The Old Testament talks about the circumcision of the heart. It wasn't necessarily a circumcision of the flesh for salvation that God is looking for. God is looking for a, sal- uh, a, a circumcision of your heart. Is your heart right before God in order to receive the things of God? Uh, so he goes on, I said, so God who knows the heart, acknowledged them, which means God took notice of the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Notice that they were purified unto salvation by faith and and not by any work. Uh, Peter says the Gentiles in no way were even trying to keep the law law of God through Moses, and yet God saved them just like he did us, just as we were. Now, you who are listening to me today, uh, maybe you are listening to me today and, and you're trying to keep the law of God for your salvation. Well, I want to ask, how do you overlook this section of Scripture? This is the same exact section of Scripture that that, that you cannot, you cannot, if you're trying to keep the law of Moses, and you think the law of God's going to save you, how can you overlook the dispute that the original apostles had on the same matter? Peter is arguing against, hey, you don't keep the law, you don't... Keep good works. You don't do any work to be saved. It's by grace, through faith, through Christ alone, and through his blood alone. Jesus said, it is finished. And again, if he said it's finished, it's finished. And I say this, uh, my congregation, those who are listening to me out there, who are saved by the blood of the Lamb and by the blood of the Lamb only, because there are those to this day that think that they can be saved. By the keeping of the law of Moses that, he, that God gave him. I, I, I kid you not. I, I've met them. I, I've met them and they think that they need to keep the law of Moses and do all these things, but they just miss the point. We'll talk about this later. So, but nevertheless, I challenge you today, who may be listening to me, who think that you're going to be saved by the keeping of the law of Moses, how do you answer this section when trying to work for your salvation by good works and by the keeping of the law of Moses. How do you answer this section? This is the heart of what they're talking about here. This was the heart of the dispute. You need to keep the law of Moses for salvation? No, you don't. God saw their heart. They were saved by faith, just as we were, without the keeping of the law of Moses. Think on it. Let's keep going as Peter does, verse ten. Now, therefore, Peter says, "Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were are able to bear?" This is a huge point. I'm going to bring it up in the end. What part kind of the law plays? But notice Peter says there that concerning God's law to the early Jews that He gave through Moses, that of this law neither the Jews of old, neither Peter and all the disciples. Neither all of them there that were listening, the elders, the Pharisees, none of them, none of them were able to keep the law of God to perfection. And he says, why, how dare you try to put this yoke of keeping the law of God through Moses on them when we can't even keep it? Uh, Again, more on that later at my close. Look what Peter says next, verse 11. But we believe... And, of course, this wouldn't just be subjective. This wouldn't just be because they believe it, because they they believe they see it in the Word of God. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. He echoes Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's for us by grace that you are saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves nor of works, but it is a gift of God. Peter says that salvation comes by God's grace through our faith in Christ through Christ and his blood that was shed on the cross for our sins alone, to pay the sin penalty we deserve to suffer, and that be current and eternal separation from God Almighty. And he's saying that it is by Jesus Christ and his sacrifice alone that we, uh, he and the rest of the Jewish Christians, may be saved from these evils of sin, same as the Gentiles could be, even though they did not keep the law of Moses. What a mouthful That Peter speaks. What do they have to say to Peter's experience? Uh, Plus what God Almighty did with the Gentiles through him, through his preaching. uh, Despite not keeping the law of Moses, that the Gentiles did not. Keep reading verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. They were silent and they listened. And this is a good thing. This is a real good thing because this means that God was working on their hearts with the truth. And better still, they weren't just shutting them off like those devils in Antioch because they had an alternate motive uh, like those in Antioch did with Paul and Barbus. A A works doctrine, as I said earlier, is a super strong stronghold in their minds. It's still a super strong stronghold in the minds of people today. It is the way that they, and it is the way that some people today have interpreted God's law for a long time. And they really, these guys here, even the people today, aren't really happy about giving that up. Uh, But these listening to the original apostles were willing to listen and keep silent. Remember we've talked about before, uh, hearts that are hearts to be receptive and open to things of God and hearts that are closed towards the things of God, it's important for us even today that we have open hearts to think about the things of the Lord and not closed hearts. Uh, Let's keep going. Look at verses 13 and 14. And after they had become silent, so they were still silent, James answered saying, so now we have the apostle James chiming in on the matter. And he's one of the originals as well too. Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. He was testifying the fact that Peter's not lying. And remember, the Bible says, where there's two or more witnesses, let that one's witness be established, not where there's just one. Uh, But he doesn't stop there. Look at 15 through 17. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Now he goes to the Bible. Now he goes back to God's written word, just as is written, verse 16. After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. I love how God says that through Amos. I love how God says that. He says, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Says the Lord who does. All those things. Wow. So the original apostle, the big gun James the Less, because remember James the Greater had died already, the brother of John, goes on to bring the bigger gun, God Almighty in his word in Amos chapter 9, to show that God Almighty himself also gives testimony to what has happened and that what Peter is speaking about is not just from himself, but from the Almighty. And when there are God's words... And listen, when God approves of something, who are we to disapprove of that thing? We are not. There are some that do, but they shouldn't. Let me tell you what. If it's God, listen. If it's me, if it's another man and it's our opinion, don't listen. If it's God, listen. So James gives them the ultimate testimony of these Gentiles getting saved being from God, the ultimate authority. But he doesn't stop there. He gives them a resolution to the problem next. Look at verses 18 through 21. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge. I'm James, and I'm one of the originals, and here's what I say that we should do. He brings a resolution. That we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Hey, don't bother them with trying to keep the law of God. they got to follow Jesus Christ in his ways. For he said, hey, follow me this way. Don't bother them about keeping the law of God. Let them alone in this matter. Verse 20, but that we write to them. And this was kind of James's kind of a, a, a appeasing thing. He says, I'm going I'm to give them this and I'm going to appease them some way. But notice how he words it so that he doesn't make it sound like they have to do these things to be saved. Verse twenty, but that we write to them to abstain from. Notice he didn't say that they should that he said they should abstain from, not that they should do these things so that they could be saved. He said that they should stay away from things polluted by idols, um, and then he goes on from things strangled kind of the same thing food that had been killed sacrificed to false gods he said don't stay away from foods that have been sacrificed to false gods i don't want you to have any partaking of those things he goes on to say from sexual immorality and that would be the you know the standard sexual no-nos adultery fornication homosexuality you know and also from blood well remember god had commanded his children not to eat the meat with the blood in it, for the life is in the blood, Leviticus 17, God said, don't eat the meat. Uh, Verse 21, for Moses has throughout many generations, through those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. He closes with giving a negative statement about Moses, which was big, it was huge, saying that Moses and the law of God have had enough time in the limelight being preached. Hey guys, ever since Moses, 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 The law, the law, the law, the law, the law, enough. Listen, it's been finished. Jesus said it's finished. It's finished. Now it's time for the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now it's time for Christ alone, no longer the law. What's the result of his powerful and moving speech, full of multiple witnesses plus God's ultimate authority? Look at verses 22 and 23. Then it pleased, well, they weren't unhappy, With his statement, and and let me tell you what, when when you speak even one syllable in those days, even today, uh, against Moses, the greatest one of the greatest men of God ever to the Jews, uh, these guys could have been stoned. Really, James the apostle, these Pharisees, they could have said, No, 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 you do not say bad about Moses. He he is the man. But instead, it says. Then it pleased verse twenty two. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named <coughs> Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. Um, they wrote this letter to them, and they said this: the apostles, the elders, and the brethren to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. So well, let's write this letter, and this this kind of this letter to let them off the hook. And we're not going to bother them keeping the law of God to all these Gentiles everywhere, really, all these churches that you've been through. Look at this beautiful letter that puts the works-based doctrine that these devils brought to the children of God in Antioch to shame. Verses 24 through 30. Since we have heard that that some who went out from us have troubled you with their words, unsettling your souls. You see, that goes to show us how these Christians in Antioch took their words. These Christians in Antioch took their words as if they were from the apostles themselves. Oh no, we should be keeping the law of God to be saved. Oh no. And so their souls were troubled. They were being troubled. <clears throat> they were, souls were unsettled. And, and these people that came and they said, you must be circumcised to keep the law. Notice it is all negative. That's important. That's the first thing. Notice that everything he said so far so far was negative. And he goes on to say: this is more important than anything, to whom we gave no such commandment. This is big. He just said that the official Christian church that Jesus Christ started with the original apostles does not support these guys that brought this works-based doctrine. He's that's what he just said. He says. We, the apostles, are sending these guys, and we do not support the guys that came already. So don't listen to them, right? Don't be unsettled. Don't be upset about their words, meaning don't listen to them. What they tell you, chaff in the wind. You do not have to work in order to be saved. Verse 25, It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord. Hey, we all got together. We had a powwow to send chosen men with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. He builds up and and shows Paul and Barnabas' real true stature in the church. Verse 26, Men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who also report the same things by word of mouth. They send all solid Christian men whom these in the Church of Antioch would have known, and just not just any men, but notable men of God that were highly esteemed, and that they highly esteemed, by the that the original apostles highly esteem, and they give them this letter of this good news. For you see, the devils came to the church in the first place, and they had no authority to teach what they what they taught. They came as as people that were trying to be people that they were not, trying to be important men of the church, and yet, here, the apostles say, they weren't important. You know what? Don't listen to them. They have no authority. They are not of us. Their teaching is not Christ's teaching. This letter was huge then, and it should be huge now to us. Really, it should be huge huge. For those of you who right now maybe are trying to keep the law of God for your salvation, this letter should change your life. Peter just said, the apostles just wrote, these guys that are teaching this doctrine, they're not from us. Do not listen to their words. Their doctrine is not from Christ. For, remember, I've taught it the whole time, this sermon now, and I've taught it for years. Salvation is in Christ alone through the blood of his new covenant alone, period, the end. And that's just it. They go on in verse 28 to say, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. And again, I've explained all that already. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Now, remember earlier I said that the apostles didn't lay down these duties as a way for them to earn their salvation. Well, there you go. He just ends. Even more powerful what I said. He just closes with, you'll do well. He said, you'll do well keeping these things, not you do these things in order to be saved. That is huge. That is important. If he would have said, you do these things or else you're not saved, then we know, holy camoley, we got to keep a works doctrine in order we got to be saved but he did not say that he said if you do these things you'll do well you'll do well in your Christian life with Christ that's all he said that's not he wasn't adding in something that they could be saved by if they did those things he said he said you if you do these things your Christian walk will go well with Christ He ends farewell That was their letter look at the reception that this letter and these apostles are welcome with Verses thirty to thirty-five. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. When they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. All, all the super Christian men of faith, Solomon of God that were approved by the official Christian Church in Jerusalem, they come to Antioch. They gathered the church together and they give them the letter. Verse thirty-one. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. I could imagine. They, these guys come in. Paul and Barnabas had been teaching them. They were taught grace through faith. They were taught Christ alone. It is finished. Then these guys come in. They, they, they're pretending to be something that they're not. Apostles, important apostles from the main church. No, 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 no. That's not enough. You got to be saved by the law. Oh, no. We're not doing enough. Oh my gosh! Lord God, please forgive us. We need to be circumcised. We need to do this. We need to do. We need to keep the Sabbath. We need to. Oh my goodness! Oh, we got to do all these things. Oh my goodness! What we're we're not even saved? They might have been thinking. Yet here they rejoiced over its encouragement. Uh, They they got good news. They got good news that they no longer had to worry about keeping the law of God to be saved. Rather, the law of God is just a good moral guide for us to walk by. It's not what, what Paul and Barnabas and all the apostles were saying. It's not what you do to be saved. They no longer had to be stressed out about keeping the law of God in order to be saved. They were, one word, relief. They had relief. They, were, oh, I bet they took a big, deep breath, and they were excited, and they were like, all right, let's be free in Christ, and let's serve Christ like he told us to. Look at our last three verses, 32-35. Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets, also exhorted them, strengthened the brethren with many words. Uh, what happened here is they continued to stay there and teach them in the correct and only way of Jesus Christ and the correct and only way to have eternal life, I'm sure. For, for you got to understand, this is the one dangerous thing about doctrine. Doctrine can be poisonous. And their doctrine was poisonous, for sure. And, and once... Poisonous doctrine enters people's minds. The only way to quell that, the only way to get rid of it, is by the teaching of the truth. It's same way, if a whole room is dark, the only way to get darkness out of a room is to turn on the light. That's it. And so here, these guys stayed. And verse 33 tells us that after they had stayed for a time, that means that they were there for a while, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, verse 34, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Remember, Paul and Barnabas come with other notable solid Christian soldier figureheads to authenticate the message of Paul and Barnabas and the original apostles and not... Of the devils, and the three of them, Paul, Barnabas, and Silas, remain there for a long time, as Luke tells us, teaching those in the church at Antioch, teaching them the truth of Jesus Christ, and I'm sure the two doctrines of the Christian faith and salvation. And for goodness knows, we know, if you've read the New Testament any time at all, it, there's a lot. There's a lot of things that Christ wants us to do that, you know, he has duties for us to do. And so, you know, I'm sure they were there. And they, again, they still didn't have a, a canonized Bible. So it was all just word of mouth and what Christ had taught them and passed on to the apostles. And so there was a lot. So we covered a lot of Scripture today. And really, I will say this, not much time. I'm impressed. I didn't know how long this section of Scripture was going to take me. I commented uh, being led by the Lord in my the sermon. Uh, as I said earlier, I can barely do four or five verses in an hour. Today we covered 35. I'm pretty impressed with that. I've got to say, I'm pretty impressed with that. Uh, their main message again, getting back to that while we're in our, moving toward our close here, and, and one that I affirm today with us here today, we are saved, people are saved through faith in Christ alone by his blood alone and not by any other work of the law or not by any good work at all period the end remember jesus christ said john 19:30 concerning the only work by which could save mankind with his death on the cross and he was about to die he was at his end he Might have been on God power at the end there, just barely hanging on there. He said, it is finished. And the true disciples, the apostles of Jesus Christ, have been preaching this truth of Christ alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, his sacrifice and his blood alone, and they've been preaching it since the first century. And I, and really very few today, actually preach the same thing. There are many today, in case you didn't notice, uh, many today don't believe in, in a salvation by Christ alone, through faith alone, in the Son, in His blood, and through His new covenant alone. They teach, much like these devils that came to Antioch here, they teach a false doctrine. They teach a doctrine of works. Now, come on. The message of the devil again. Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough for mankind's salvation. Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough. The devil, you have to do something else in order to be saved. You have to do some other good work in order for God to be happy with you, in order for God to save you. Yet... Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, boys and girls, Jesus Christ 14.6, John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I'll never forget years back I was in, in Florida with my beloved aunt, and she is uh, probably the most diehard Catholic that I know. There's probably not a more die-hard Catholic than her. She makes rosaries, and she does this. And we were talking about salvation in Christ, and... And, and as I made the statement about you know, this basically saying the same thing, I said, hey, the Bible says, you know, Jesus, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth life. And Jesus said, he's finished. It's through me and you know, salvation through me alone. And he said, well, what about those good Mormons? And what about those good Muslims? And what about those good Buddhists? And what about those good Hindus? And I said, I said, Aunt, I said, I, I love you. I said, but the Bible is the Bible. I said, Jesus Christ said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. And then I questioned her with this, and she got mad at me. Now, now I hope this statement doesn't make you mad too, but I want this statement to challenge you. And this doesn't just go for the law of Moses. This goes really for all or anything you think you have to do in order to earn your salvation. I said this. God brought this to me at that moment. He said this. When Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He went a long way and he went to talk with God. Because Christ in and of himself, he was also human. And he was looking ahead at the cross and looking ahead at, you know, what he was going to have to do and looking ahead at, you know, the the road he was going to have to walk and and, and being crucified and being flogged. and, And then he goes to God and he says this to God. He says, God, if it be your will, let this cup pass. What is that? Jesus just said, Lord, if there's another way... I don't want to have to go through this, God. I don't want to have to go through. If there's any other way by which people could be saved, I don't want to go through this. Yet we read the Bible say that God made him go through with it. And an angel came and strengthened him so that he would. Now I told her, I said, if... Jesus didn't want to go and said, no, you have to go for mankind's salvation, for that's the only way for salvation is through Christ alone. I said then, if there was another way, I said, how come I can't then jump around on one foot and do a dance and twirl around and and say, okay, God, that's good enough for me to get to salvation. If there's no other way to have salvation than through Christ alone, why did God make Jesus Christ go to the cross if there was another way? If Buddhism were the way, or if Hinduism were the other way, or, or, if, or whatever, Mormonism were the other way, or Catholicism, why did Christ then have to go to the cross and die and spill his precious blood if there was another way? Well, again... She couldn't answer me. She got mad because, you know, usually that's what happens when people get an argument that that goes against what they believe and they see the truth in it and they can either relent and repent and and turn or they can get mad because they see they're wrong and then not admit they're wrong and then attack you personally. And usually that's what people do more than anything is when you give them an argument that's proved they can't disprove it. All they can do is attack you personally. I've had that happen many times myself. Jesus. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Since this is so, and and in Christ he said this, (laughs) what he said, and this is the only way to have salvation through his blood of his covenant, and that's the only way that we can be saved. Uh, Guys and gals, there's no other way. What part does the law play? Does the law play any part in our salvation at all? Does the law do anything for us to get us saved? Yes and no. It's a kind of a catch-22. Paul says in Galatians three twenty-four 25 we can't just throw the law out and act like the law doesn't matter. We see the law, Galatians 3, therefore it was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The law of God is meant to give us a good moral code as a good standard of how we're supposed to live. But the law of God is not what we use to get saved. The law of God shows us there's no way that we can be saved by it. For to be saved by the law, you have to keep the whole of the law from the day of your birth to the day of your death and not break any one law. And there's about 653 or 763 laws that God gave in the Old Testament. And Is that possible? Can you do that? Can you keep 700 plus laws from the day of your birth to the day of your death and not break one? No. So since you can't, the law is a tutor. Oh my goodness, I can't keep the law. What, what next? Christ, Christ, nobody can do it. It's Christ. Only through Christ and his blood and his sacrifice, his death on the cross, can anyone be saved eternally. How do you then go about obtaining this eternal life? What does it mean to have faith in Christ? What does it mean to, that his sacrifice pays for your sins? Because he died on the cross, does that cover everybody? Does is, is that mean everybody saved? Is that what that means? Well, listen. It has to do with faith in Him. And it has to go through Him and His blood and His sacrifice on the cross alone. But how it all fits together all relies upon how you respond to God and Jesus Christ. Will you seek Him? He said, if you seek, you shall find. Will you ask Him, Lord, how is it that I'm saved? How is it that I have faith in Jesus Christ? How is it that Christ said to be saved? How, how does that happen? Will you knock on the door of God's heart? If you care about your eternal life in Jesus Christ, then today would you start to seek him for the answer through prayer in his word? Because it's all there. He's just hoping that you will seek him out on it. And that you'll find it. He grants eternal life to those who respond to his call. One day this week I was sitting at my job and the Lord just opened up my heart. And it came upon my heart to look at this one scripture and I opened it up. I didn't even have any idea it was going to pertain to this section of scripture, to our sermon today. But then God brought it back to my mind just last night. Listen to what God says in Isaiah 66, 1-4 about responding to his call, about him bringing salvation to you, about you know, how you attain salvation, faith in Christ, and so on and so forth. Listen to what he says. Isaiah 66, 1-4, this is why the response of what we go through is so important and that we don't try to work, but that we just respond to God in his calling. He says this, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look: on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and he who trembles at my word. He who kills a bull if he who slays a man. That's not good, right? He looks on the poor in the contrite spirit. Keep that in mind. He who sacrifices the lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck, and he who offers. A grain offering is he offers swine's blood. He who burns incense is he who blesses an idol, which is all not good. So that's all works. He says, not all good. No good, no good. He goes on to say, just as they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations, so I will choose their delusions and bring their fears on them because, Here's here's the kicker, here's the home run ball, guys. Listen. When I called... No one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear, but they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. God's calling. How are you responding? Are you responding by trying to earn your way into God's kingdom by your good works? Or are you responding by seeking Jesus Christ? Asking Jesus Christ, how do I get saved? Knocking on the door of God's hearts. Are you responding to when he's calling? Are you opening your ears so that when he's calling, you're going, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Or are you trying to do all these good and great and mighty works in your eyes in order to be saved? That's what it all boils down to. No work is going to get you to heaven. I don't care who you are, whether you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim or a so-called Christian or even someone who professes to be a Christian or whatever. No good work is going to get you to heaven. It's this. When I called, no one answered. Will you answer by seeking? Will you answer by asking? When I spoke, they did not hear. Will you hear? Will you hear? Will you, will you respond? Or will you continue to do it your own way? Don't do it your own way. God's the Savior. Christ is the Savior. And He cries out to you today through Jesus Christ and says, Seek me. Ask. Keep asking. And knock on the door of my heart and I will answer. If you respond to His voice, which is not a work, that's just responding to what He's already done, and, and, and you respond to His calling by seeking Him, then He'll bring you into a relationship and salvation with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, and He'll allow you to come to Him and He'll allow you to come and be saved. How will you respond? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your goodness, Lord God. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you did all the work, Lord God, for mankind to be saved. Father God, we, we Lord, we cannot, Lord, do anything good, Lord, we we can't even do many things good on this earth amongst one another, Lord. Look at all the hatred and the evil that people do against one another and all the just, just all the bad, Lord God, all the bad. It just fills the world. Yet, yet somehow we think we can do something good for you, to you, the, the perfect one, in order that you would see our good works and see, oh, wow, that guy's helping old ladies across the street. and all that. this guy's doing that and that girl's doing, oh, man, they're, they're worthy. No, Lord, we're not worthy. No one's worthy. God, you love and you want to save. And you just want us to listen. You just want us to respond to your calling. God, so I pray that we would. I pray that you'd break down all the walls, Lord God, of all the works-based salvation, all the keeping the law of Moses' peoples, Lord God. And I pray that you break down all their walls and that they would just listen to you and come to Christ and come to his word and seek him in his word and find, ask him, Lord, how do I get saved? And then go seek in the word of God. For Christ is the only way, Lord God, and we accept that, we know that, Lord. I pray that you'd bring those listening to that as well too if they're not there. We thank you, Lord, and we love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.